I'd invite you to pray with me. Gracious and holy God, oh, what a gift and a privilege it is to get to witness you in the flesh, alive and at work in our world uh, through the gift of your scripture. God, we thank you for the stories of Jesus' life and what they reveal to us. Lord, as we have time set aside this day uh, to sit uh, in front of one of those stories and to watch it unfold, um, Lord, help your word unfold within our hearts as well. Speak to us, O oh God the message you have for each of us to hear this day. Send your spirit uh, so that we can feel your presence and heed your call. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Let us listen to God's word for us together. Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. This man lived among the tombs, and no one was ever strong enough to restrain him, even with a chain. He'd been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Night and day in the tombs and the hills, he would howl and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and knelt before him, shouting, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded him, Unclean spirit, come out of the man. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He responded, Legion is my name because we are many. They pleaded with Jesus not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. Send us into the pigs, they begged. Let us go into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission, so the unclean spirits left the man and went into the pigs. Then the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. Those who tended the pigs ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who used to be demon-possessed. They saw the very man who had been filled with many demons sitting there, fully dressed and completely sane, and they were filled with awe. Those who had actually seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man told the others about the pigs. Then they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. While he was climbing into the boat, the one who had been demon-possessed pleaded with Jesus to let him come along as one of his disciples, but Jesus wouldn't allow it. Go home to your own people, Jesus said, and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. 
the man went away and began to proclaim in the ten cities all that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. So our youth group is headed to Breakout KC after church today, where we will willingly allow ourselves to be trapped in a room full of clues, puzzles, riddles, and codes that we will need to decipher in, or, in under an hour in order to break free from our captivity. On the surface, it may look like I am a super organized and thoughtful youth minister who planned our activities so that it matched our theme in worship today. Truth be told, that was all the Spirit's doing because it wasn't until late in this week that I realized the coincidence. I'm not sure if you've ever done a breakout room before, or an escape room, like they're also called, but it is an experience. I took Maya and her closest three friends to one when we celebrated Maya's birthday earlier this year. Each room has a backstory that shapes your group's mission for the day. At Maya's birthday, we were locked in the workroom of a well-meaning scientist who had gone off his rocker. And while he thought he was on the verge of curing all global disease, his work poses a significant threat to humanity. It was our job to bring his operation to an end. Today, our youth group will be at a New Year's Eve party in 1999 and will be tasked with the stopping the impending Y2K disaster before it happens. As anybody who lived through what actually happened on Y2K would tell you, these are all made up pending problems or disasters that have been imagined for the fun of the experience. Yet when you are in it, you feel the pressure as you find yourself locked in a room Surrounded by what at first glance looks like meaningless decor and objects with only an hour to make your way out. What became clear as our hour unfolded in that scientist's bunker was that these rooms were designed to require the work of a group. Throughout our experience, different pieces of the overall puzzle required our attention at the same time. It wasn't a linear progression from one clue to another like a scavenger hunt. It was multi-layered, with important pieces scattered throughout the room that ended up connecting to one another in a complex web. At different points in the challenge, each of the five of us made a key contribution that moved the group forward. There is no way any one of us could have made it through on our own. In addition to the support of the team, we also had our game facilitator who was watching our every move on camera from her booth in another part of the building. There was a TV screen on which she could type messages to us, and we got three chances to ask her for hints that would move us forward without being penalized. Wouldn't it be amazing if life worked that way? When you find yourself stuck not sure where to turn or how to find a breakthrough in the midst of a challenge or a crisis or a problem, you could just ask for a hint, and a divine message would pop up like a text message on your phone, telling you exactly what your next move would be. Our facilitator had asked if we would be interested in nudges along the way as well, and our group had no shame 
telling her, absolutely. Those pseudo-divine nudges and hints dropped from above as gifts along our way were also critical that day. As this photo attests, in the end, we managed to break free with 8 minutes and 31 seconds to spare. Captivity, no matter what form it takes, whether we are talking actual imprisonment or a mental health disorder or a physical disease or an addiction or some of the conditions of the heart we have been praying about already today, regret, resentment, or constant anxiety, captivity, no matter what form it takes, is isolating. It cuts us off from others, so often in more ways than one. And isolation is one of the most destructive conditions for us as humans. Which is, of course, why captivity in any of its forms feels so daunting. It's so difficult to break free of, for isolation is a major source of its power over us. It can be hard for us in our world today to wrap our minds around the captivity we witness here with Jesus as he lands on the lakeshore in the region of the Gerasenes. My gut is that most of us do not think about the idea of demon possession all that much in our day-to-day -day life. Many have tried to diagnose the demon-possessed men and women of Scripture using the American Psychiatric Association's DSM to make sense of what was happening some 2,000 years ago with our current worldview. And yet, as C. Clifton Black, a theology professor at Princeton Seminary, argues in his commentary on this text, those diagnostic interpretations all end up falling a bit short preserving the mystery that comes when we attempt to fully understand the workings of the spirit world. He goes on to say, over the course of a pastor's life, or as recent as one's glance at this morning's news, an X-factor of ravaging evil is not so easily dismissed. My look at the news this morning proves this claim of his true. As he goes on to attest, we've witnessed evil's ghastly overpowering of persons, cliques, gangs, so-called civilized Christian nations that facilely justify daily bigotry and homicide, even the extermination of entire ethnic populations. The first step in capitulation to diabolic forces is our refusal to see it. Even being unable to fully understand the source of the man's torment, when Jesus meets him amidst the tombs, what is clear is that the people of that region's chief desire is to not have to see him. We do not have to have complete understanding of evil and the way it moves and works in a person to see its consequences. 
There are no fun and games here. And the captivity Jesus confronts in this man, and we encounter in God's word for us this day. The reality of this man is harrowing. And the imagery used in scripture is meant to make the depths of his captivity and his isolation clear. It's a captivity that is multi-layered. He is living amongst the tombs, which would make him ritually unclean in the eyes of Jewish law. The people have tried to chain and shackle him to contain him. And while he breaks free from those iron bonds, there is no freedom here. He howls at night in his despair. He takes stones and cuts himself. What is swirling within him tortures him mentally and physically. The demons identify themselves as legion, a name that reveals much, for a legion in that time and place was a Roman military division made up of 6,000 soldiers. Scripture is giving us a sense of the forces at work within this man At the same time, the encounter reminds us of the captivity facing all of God's people as they exist under the control of the Roman Empire. The herd of pigs nearby, a herd of animals deemed unclean by Jewish law as well, only heighten the drama and imagery tied to this man's captivity and isolation. While we may be unable to wrap our minds around the legion who swirls within this one held captive, what stands out so clear in this story is Jesus' power and strength in the face of it. From the moment he steps off the boat, there is no hesitation, no wavering. The disciples disappear from the scene, leaving us to imagine that they don't even get off the boat, afraid to get near as they watch this encounter with the legion unfold. However, there is no fear in Jesus. The narrator doesn't even have time to tell us of Jesus' first words to the demon, for they are spoken before there is time enough to detail the man's torment. Jesus steps off the boat and immediately shouts, Unclean spirit, come out of the man. The only fear on the shore that day comes from the legion themselves who beg Jesus not to torment the tormentor, who kneel at Jesus' feet asking for mercy. Send us into the pigs, they beg. Let us go into the pigs. The next line in scripture is telling when we consider Jesus' place in the spiritual world. Jesus gave them permission, scripture tells us. Here is this human one, the divine in the flesh, able to command and control evil that has taken on human flesh as well. Into the pigs the legion goes, as the herd of 2,000 runs off the cliff and into the lake, drowning out the life of the pigs and the legion who had taken up residence within them. This is no divine nudge or hint dropped in as a blessing from above. This is divine power standing mightily over an active evil on the ground, wielding the power of God's love and goodness 
to set free one who had been held and tortured. As I said earlier in his commentary, Black wrote, The first step in capitulation to diabolism is our refusal to see it. He goes on, The first step in resistance is our embrace of the Lord who masters it. Which is the exact opposite of what all the people who witness this encounter or hear about it secondhand do in response to it. They take in the herd of drowned pigs, the healed and restored man, and then they do some begging of their own. In the midst of their fear-traced awe, they plead with Jesus to leave their region. Jesus does as he is asked, claiming right back into the boat. A reminder to us that as Black puts it, Jesus' gospel does not coerce acceptance. He will not stay where he is unwanted. The people fail to embrace this one whose power has disrupted the order of things in their world, but it is not so for the one whose life has been saved by him and the disruption he has caused. The captive set free from torment does some begging of his own, pleading with Jesus to let him become his disciple. Instead, Jesus has another plan for him. For this one who has been alone and isolated for so long, he commands him to go home, to return to his people, his community, telling them what God has done. No matter what form it takes, the captivities we suffer, unlike the one the youth and I will voluntarily experience just a couple hours from now, the captivities we suffer are no fun or games. Yet what a difference it would make, what a difference it does make when we do not have to suffer them alone to face whatever we must face, not isolated, hiding our struggles out of shame or feeling like we must fight our battles alone, but instead to face what we must face with a team of people on our side and by our side. This in-the-flesh reminder of Jesus and of the power of God's love and goodness he came to wield. It is a power that does not cower in the face of evil, but instead, without hesitation, runs headlong off the proverbial boat to stand mightily over whatever threatens us. It is a power that Jesus did not just come to wield. It was a power he came to proclaim, a power he was sent to share. It's a power that it may be difficult for us to understand or wrap our own minds around or explain, but just like its counterpart, we can recognize its consequences. We can recognize them when we see them. And if we are willing to embrace our master, 
it is a power that can move through us as well. Jesus is for the captive. Jesus is for us. Jesus invites us to be for one another. Thanks be. Amen.